Heavenly Father, there is nowhere that we would rather be than with you. Help us to meditate on those words and help us to live them out each and every moment of every day that we would look forward to the day that we get to spend forever and eternity with you. That we wouldn't fill ourselves with the fleshly desires of this world. We wouldn't try to keep up with Joneses and have what everybody else has, but we would spend every waking moment of every day seeking after you. That we would seek after your face. That we would strive for obedience to you because of who you are to us. Help us to look forward to having uh, heaven here on earth as we spend this time with you. Father, as we, we open up your text here today, won't you speak to us through your words? Help us to get to know you at a better and deeper level. Help us to see how we can uh, be better people because of who you are for us. And not keep it to ourselves, but we would go and to share it with others so they might know you and have hope in their lives as well. Father, I just ask that you give me the words to say and how to say them this morning, that you would uh, continue to, to use me in a special and mighty way. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength and my redeemer, whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We begun a new series last week in the book of Nehemiah. So if you would turn with me there and your copy of God's Word will be in Nehemiah chapter 2 here today. You know, as I look at the world and look at just how we uh, go through our lives, we, we have this infatuation with celebrities. And I, I brought this up before, but it bears repeating because it just continues to happen where we, we are looking at these celebrities and not even really celebrities anymore when you know we have the rise of social media and things of that nature and we have these viral stars who make these these videos or whatever they're doing it might be a, a trendy dance or something like that and they, they do it over and over again now they're a popular celebrity and they're being on, uh, getting uh, cast for TV shows and movies and things of the nature. It's a strange time that we're living in uh, where just people can get famous for any amount of things. But what we, what we lose in that, as we see all this happen, people start to strive to be those things and people get out on the social media apps and they want to be the next viral star. And we lose the fact that we're just ordinary folks. Nobody wants to be ordinary. Everybody wants to, to stand apart and, and be lauded for something, even to get their 15 minutes of fame, as they, they say. But there's something special about being ordinary, and, and it's okay. It's okay to be ordinary because we serve an extraordinary God. And as we look through the Bible, as we look through the text, and we read all the stories about how God has worked through his people, they're just ordinary folks just like you and me. They're just plain old people walking around, and they just, God chooses them, and they are obedience in response. 
And God uses them in a mighty way. So mighty, in fact, that we're talking about them 2,000 plus years later. Isn't that amazing? And as I think about this, you know, you have a lot of people know all these quote-unquote celebrity pastors that are, you know, on TV having big stages and thousands and thousands of people in the congregation. Man, there's something about just being a nobody who wants to tell everybody about somebody who has changed the world and the, the, the bringing him glory instead of bringing glory to myself that people might know the name of Jesus and they get to spend forever and eternity to me that's worth more than any big stage that that could ever be there's something about being ordinary we find throughout the scripture that there's this extraordinary God that works through these ordinary people that should give us hope. Every time that I'm reading through the Bible and I'm reading about somebody, uh, somebody new or somebody different it, that comes up throughout the course of Scripture, I'm like, man, I can, I can resonate with that. Like that's something that I can, I deal with today. And if if God can use them, there's there's hope for even somebody like me. I hope that you share that same encouragement, but what's available to them is available to us as well through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Have you thought about that? That what's available to folks like Nehemiah, to, to folks like Abraham, to, to David, or you look at Peter, John, and so forth, Paul, we, we serve the same God that they served. The, the, the same God uses us, just like he used them. I don't know about you, but that, that makes me excited. That, that gives me some hope. And that, I mean, even when I struggle going from day to day, I know that the God of the universe, the God of the scripture, is the one that is in control. And he's going to take care of his people. This should be encouraging to us because it puts us all on a level playing field. There's no hierarchy here. I'm no better than you. You're no better than your neighbor. We have all fallen short of God's glory. Well, I'm a good person. It's not what the scripture says. Not even on your best day are you a good person. But, you know, there, there's, there's a solution for that. And because God is so good and he sent his son who paid the penalty on your behalf, and that's what's good. That's why we call it good news. Because even though you're not good, Jesus paid the penalty on your behalf, and he, he uh, sacrificed himself on the cross for you so that you might have life. He is the one that does the extraordinary. So as we continue to look through the book of Nehemiah, and we look at him or we look at anybody else in the Bible, we need to be careful not to elevate them. Right, because we can as we talk about the celebrity culture. We have this going on with the Bible. Right? Paul was so dope; he did all these things, but you know he struggled just like we do. Yes, it's incredible the things that God used him for. But again, he was just a dude, just like me. Nehemiah could be Nehemiah if God wasn't working through him. The same with. Abraham. Think, you think about the story of Abraham and, and how God used him. You know, Abraham lied. He second-guessed God. 
but God still used him. Abraham wasn't perfect. Or look at David, a man after God's own heart, a fornicator, a cheater, a murderer. Right? Are you tracking with me? So there's hope. If God can use somebody like that, then absolutely. If you jump forward to the New Testament, we have Saul. Saul who was hunting down and killing Christians. He was persecuting Christians. That was his primary aim until Jesus got a hold of him. And he changed the world because God used him wildly. So you're saying there's a chance. Absolutely. Absolutely. If God can use them, he can use you too. In our walk through Nehemiah, we see this ordinary man taking extraordinary steps of faith, and God does the extraordinary through him. If you remember, Nehemiah is in the king's palace in Persia, and he works as the cupbearer there to the king. And if you remember, the, the cupbearer is the one who tastes the food and drinks before it gets to the king to ensure that it's not poisoned. And it definitely is not a bad gig unless somebody has a smart idea and wants to try to kill the king through poisoning his food. Um, but to be honest, you know, knowing that the, the people, that there was this safeguard there, it wouldn't make any sense for people to try to poison the king's food knowing that they wouldn't get to him. And they got this cupbearer there, tasting everything, and if he falls out, then it's not getting to the king. So it, it only makes sense that they would try to have some other means in order to get to the king. So you take that portion out, this is a pretty sweet gig. It's pretty all right, getting to have the choice food and the choice drink to live in the palace and, and then be a confidant to the king. So they would try to get to him in the other ways. As we recap this first chapter that we talked about last week, Nehemiah hears from his brother that the people in Jerusalem are endangered. And when he hears this about God's people, his, his heart is broken. And he hears what's going on. And this, this news immediately convicts him and he, it moves him toward compassion. He, he sees them. This is not like, he, sometimes when you get up the ladder, you kind of forget what it is. That's why I want to make sure that we understand this is the ordinary guy. And, and what's special about him is he didn't forget what life used to be like. He, he understood that these are actual people that lived in Jerusalem, that, that are, all these things were, had happened to them. The more that I read the Bible, the more I can see that God desires us to be on the front lines. He wants us to first stand up for others when they hurt and when they struggle. This is uh, apparent time and time again as we read through the scriptures that God wants us there on the front lines, protecting folks in the struggle. Look with me in Nehemiah 2. We'll start here in verse 1. And here God's word reads, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, he, I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Let me pause there. 
it's easy to read through this really quick, but how did the king know that he wasn't saved? How did, the, how did the king know when he looked at Nehemiah that Nehemiah was not sick? Following COVID protocols. Yes. Because, right, I mean, he had to get in. He was a cupbearer to the king. And look, you know, they, it wasn't like Nehemiah had his own cup. He didn't come in with a solo cup and pour the wine in and, and take a sip and then give the pour another cup to the king. They, they drank out of the same cup. That is definitely not COVID protocols, but he was tested on the way in to understand that he wouldn't be sick. He didn't have a cold because you, you, they're sick, eat, sipping from the same cup, eating from the same plate. And so there's no way that he could have been sick and, and put the king in danger. So it's like, well, I know if you ain't sick, there's something going on. And the other point is they had a relationship. This is why, folks, if you're joining us online, I encourage you to be in the building with us because we need to build a relationship as a body of Christ. We get to know each other. If we, we come and we don't see each other for a long time, how am I going to know you're sad and not sick if I don't know you? If I'm spending time with you, I get to know and understand it. You look down today. What's going on? How can I be praying for you? You want to talk about it, like, right? Or if you come through the door and you're, you're beaming and, and happy, you're like, what's going on? I want to hear what's happening because it's contagious. I want to rejoice with you. They had a relationship, the kind of relationship that I constantly pray for us to have as a body of believers here that we would know each other so well that we'd be able to speak into each other's lives and encourage one another, that we would uh, cry and mourn with one another, that we would rejoice with one another. Sometimes you just need that, right? You just see somebody is just not, you know, feeling they're not looking like they usually do, and sometimes you just need to sit with them, and that's all they need. What an encouragement that is, just to be with somebody else and just sit with them for a little while. Encourage them, pray for them. They had a relationship here. So, you know, I, I know you're not sick. I know there's something going on. What is happening? Look in, uh, in verse 3. Nehemiah says, I said, I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and his gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I have made, rebuild it. I want you to notice something here as well. Last week when we talked about chapter one, the bulk of chapter one was this prayer to God. When Nehemiah heard the news from his brother, he spent days, weeks, months in prayer to God about this particular situation. He was very intentional about this. Nehemiah 1 and 4 says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Leading up to this, he's just heartbroken. He's sad. He's distressed. And before he goes to the earthly king, he goes to the heavenly king. 
We want to lament about the earthly kings here today. We want to talk about the president, what he's doing and not doing. We want to spend time writing petitions and protesting and arguing on Facebook. First and foremost, we, this is the things that we jump to instead of going to our heavenly king. Our heavenly king, by the way, who can actually do something about it. The people that you already went on Facebook, they can't do nothing. They can't do nothing but make you mad. In regards of what you say about the government and the president, they can't do nothing either. But the one who can is in heaven. That's, that's where we should be going, first and foremost, with anything that we have in our lives. We should go to the king that, that can actually do something. The one that will work for our good and, and his glory. Isn't that funny that we, that's the last resort for some of us so-called Christians. Last resort when we should be going to our heavenly king. Nehemiah gives us a great example of what this should look like. He says, As a matter of fact, this is so dire that I'm going to pray for for days. And as a matter of fact, months have passed when we get to the month of Nisan. He's praying and fasting about this, this dire need that needs to be happening. So he took time to go away for prayer. That sounds familiar. It sounds like a lot like what Jesus Christ did. He's always thinking off of prayer. It was important to him that even for, for Jesus, our Christ, our Messiah, for him to go away and spend time with his father. But maybe it's not necessary for us. That's what we think. Maybe I can do it on my own and, and get this figured out right quick. That's not how it, it works. And this is far more, when we look at Nehemiah, it's far more than the 20 minutes or maybe even the three minutes that some of us try to get away with. They're like, oh, well, yeah, I know I need to pray, so I got a couple minutes. I'm going to knock out a quick prayer. And maybe 20 minutes is generous. Or maybe three minutes is generous. Nehemiah prays that God would give him favor with King Artaxerxes. He knew he had to do something to help his people, and he needed Artaxerxes' blessing in order to do what needs to be done. It's not like he's like, hey, I'm going to, uh, you know, just take some time off. I got some vacation time built up, and I want to go. And, and No, that's not, that's not how it works. He was expected to be there and to, to have his duties taken care of. And so in order to do anything different, he needed the blessing of the king. And as we read through chapter 1, that was the groundwork for where we're here today in chapter 2. Nehemiah is before the king. Remember, this is work for him. Living in the past. I mean, as nice as it was, it was still work. You know, he, he, he didn't have to clock in and clock out. He was always on call. So he goes in and he's working. And he is uh, saying this prayer and going to uh, into this this conversation filled with prayer, and the king asked him, you know, what's going on? And before Nehemiah answers, he he has a moment, and he, he silently prays to God. He had already built up this foundation. He spent the, the days, weeks, months beforehand getting ready for this particular moment, and even before he answers, he's still like, I need to make sure that I'm in alignment with God. And that the, the Lord would use 
me in this moment. He would speak through me to so that I can uh, be, be have the favor that I need in order to do what God has called me to do. So before he answers, he says this quick prayer. But I don't, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to think about this. Sometimes I just say stuff. You know, in the moment, and you get to go in, and I try to be measured and, and conscientious about what I'm saying, but sometimes I just get in the mood and like, oh, did I, did I say that out loud? I didn't. I probably shouldn't have said it in that way. Or I probably shouldn't have, or maybe I should have prefaced it different. Nehemiah here, he takes a moment, took a breath, said a quick prayer to make sure that he was centered and aligned with God before he spoke. Nehemiah knows better, and he checks in with God. His long days of prayer, this is a habit for him. This is this world woven in the fabric of who he is, and it makes him mindful to make sure that he prays in this very moment. There's this vibrance and strength when we adopt this in our own lives, when we're able to have a prayer life like this. It, it comes through in our genuine relationship with God. It is amazing when we cultivate this, this type of communication with God and, and we wait on him before we make decisions and especially before we say things to other people. I'm sure all of us can stand and do a little better in this area and spend more time with God in prayer. That's why we have a focus for our church this year, not only to be praying for ourselves, to praying for each of you individually, but praying as a church and, and, and most importantly, be praying for our community because Prayer changes things. It should not be our last resort, but always our first. So as we are looking uh, for our next steps as a church, where God would lead us, how God will revitalize his church, we need to be prayerful in how we do that and what God wants to do with us and through us. If we want to see more people come to the door, we, we need to be prayerful and, and ready to, to uh, do what God has called us to do. We need to be equipped for the revitalization that will come only through God. And this is what Nehemiah is doing, going to God first and foremost. Let's check out what the king said. The king says, hey, hey man, why are you so sad? What's going on? What's happening? And, and, and Nehemiah tells him, like, this is what's happening to my people. They're, they're devastated. It's a travesty. Verse 6 says, and the king said to me, the queen sitting behind, beside him, says, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king. The king sent me with, when I had given him the time, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph and uh, the keeper of the king's forest that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates and of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for and the good hand of my God was given to me. That was easy. Right? No. That was the extraordinary work of God. 
You see, Nehemiah set the stage. He knew what was important, did the first things first, and that was going to the God of heaven, who, if anybody was going to do something, it could only be God. He set the stage and the foundation. I want you to get this too. We get lazy. And we say, okay, well, I prayed about these things, and then we expect manna from heaven. This stuff is just going to fall out of the sky into my lap, and I don't have to do no work. That's not what I see here. Nehemiah, he was prepared. The other problem, I always talk about this, that, you know, my prayers are often too small. Because I, I'm, I'm looking at God and I'm asking for things that I think is possible through my own strength. But we serve a God who spoke in the universe, left into existence. So he, whatever I throw at him is nothing in comparison. And, and so we see here, Nehemiah has some expectation of what God is capable and able to do. And he, he, he prays for all of those things and he asks specifically for what he needs. He, he goes to work. He did the planning. So as he's praying, he's planning. And that's what some of us leave out. You know, if, if this was some of us going to the king or going to our boss or going to our spouse or whatever it is, we say, hey, we pray for these things. And, and if they turn around, like, well, what, what do you mean? And, Whoa, we're caught off board. I can't believe you. You're even entertaining this conversation. Because we don't, we don't have the, the kind of faith that we see pouring out of the scriptures. We, we don't understand that we're, we're the same kind of people. We serve the same kind of God to do extraordinary things through us just like he did before. And so we need to be prepared and be planning. So, you know, as we're going through that, not only do you pray for these things, but you're also planning and being prepared to, for those prayers to be answered. You know, what would it look like for us to just be praying about this church to grow? We would pray that they would send, that God would send families here and we just have a vibrant community and, and just here, just the fellowship here and the, the vibrance that, 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 you know, children bring and laughter and fun and, and other things. We were able to go out in the community and have lots of hands and feet to do all the things that, did I say hands and feet? to have the hands and feet that we need to, to accomplish what God has done for us. We pray for all those things and then God sends those people and we're like, well, now what? And we're not prepared to serve them. We're, we're not prepared to serve the children that come in and we don't have teachers ready and prepared. Why would God send families and children to our church and we're not even thinking about how we're going to serve them? We're not even preparing for what we know God is capable of doing. That, that that's, to me, shows a lack of faith. I'm like, well, we'll try and try, and if they don't come, oh well. When I read through Scripture, I mean, God wants people to, to know him, and he wants to use us so that we can go and share the good news, that people might know the name of Jesus through us, that we might make disciples who make disciples and so on. This is what I want our prayers to be. If you if you really love First Baptist Bolingbrook, and in a few weeks we'll be celebrating 55 years as a church. If you want and expect that God will continue to sustain us for the next 55 years, not only do I 
ask you to pray, but I ask you to join us in preparing for what God will bring, what God will do, so that we can serve his people. That we will be praying and planning all at the same time. Nehemiah was prepared. He had a plan. It was all laid out. It was almost as if he knew that, that God would do what he said he was going to do and the king would re re respond. So when the king asked him what he needed, Nehemiah's like, I need one of these, I need them, and matter of fact, give me some letters because I know I'm going to be attacked here. They might not let me through, so I'm, I'm going to need your cosign on this. And matter of fact, when I get there, I'm going to need some supplies to help build through the... He calculated and was ready for all this to go out. And the king's like, all right. You got it. He knows exactly how long the journey is going to be. He knows exactly what, what the king's uh, uh, authorizations needed to be. He knows what material he needs. And in the midst of praying, we also need to be planning in accordance with God's will. We need to truly have faith and trust in God, and we should expect him to move. Not, not in the expectation like, you better do what you said you're going to do, God. No, but sowing and uh, showing and believing what God has already done for his people. We already know he, he wants to use his people to build his kingdom, that he wants us to, to make disciples. We know this stuff. So we should be planning about how God has uniquely gifted us in order to implement his goals. He had already asked God, Nehemiah did, to give him favor with King Artaxerxes. This is from uh, Nehemiah 1 and 11, where he prays, O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah's prayer is based on scripture, and we see this coming out of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. So Nehemiah knew his Bible. He knew where it talked about God scattering his people, but if they would just turn back to him, that God would remember his covenant and promise to his people. Nehemiah knew his Bible. So this should be an example and takeaway for us. This is why we have our year-long reading plan and we read through the Bible together because we have to study our Bible. If you want to know God's will for your life is found within the pages of his Holy Scripture. If you want to get to know God, you got to spend time with him. The way we do that is through his Scripture and on our knees in prayer. That's it. You know, you can't spend time and, and go meditate long hours and all this kind of stuff, you know, to tarot card readings or whatever the case. No, none of that. Stay away from that stuff. Get your face in the book. Get your knees on the floor. That's how we learn God's will for us in our lives. That's how we know and understand who God is. That's how we pray for God to do what he's already promised to do. Some people don't like the story spoiled when we, when we read books and watch movies, but the end is captivating of the story. And I'm going to spoil it anyway. Christ wins. Amen. Sorry, you're just going to have to read it. 
I spoil it for you. Just read it for yourself. There's still some good stuff in here. But Christ wins. Look with me in verse 9. So as he's gotten um, this, this cue from the king, he says, Then I came to the governors of the province of beyond the river and gave them the king's letter. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. And when uh, Sambalot, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Just like things are one to do when we are obedient to God, when we are following the path that he has set for us, uh, people are going to be upset about it. Haters going to hate like they used to say. I mean, that's, that's what happens. The enemy hates when we commune with God and are, are obedient to his wishes. There's this constant spiritual battle that takes place with us. But once we start stepping out, I mean, once you become a Christian, then it doesn't mean your life is going to be easy and ready to go and smooth sailing. Yes, we can have joy in the midst of sorrow, but because we know what's, what's coming, we know what's in the hereafter, we already know the end of the story, but in the midst of that, the enemy wants to prevent each and every one of us from doing anything that God has called us to do. But Nehemiah's prepared. He's ready. He, he already knows it's going to happen. And he's, that's why he asked for the letters from the king. Man, well, shouldn't we be prepared to? Shouldn't we know that when we spend time with him in the scripture, we spend time on our knees and we're praying and we're planning for things, we should know and be prepared that the enemy is going to come and he's going to attack. Paul talks about putting on the, the full armor of God ready to go into battle. Man, we should be prepared and ready to go if any of this happens upon us. So once, once Nehemiah gets on the scene, he goes in, he takes a look around and surveys the area. Again, more planning. So God has shown up for him. He's like, uh, have, have me have favor with King Artaxerxes and let me have this conversation. Give me favor there. And the king says, bet, go ahead and don't do what you got to do and come back when you're done. And so then he gets there and he still plans. This is what we, man, we're terrible at this. Again, we expect these miracles and the manna from heaven, but you got work to do too. You got things that you have to do in order to, to make, to see all this through. Let, let's see what Nehemiah says in, in, in verse 11. It says, so I went to Jerusalem and it was there three days and I rose in the night and I, a few men with me and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one who, which I rode. And I went out by night by the valley gate and to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and said to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went to the night by the valley and expected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, 
and the rest who were to do the work. There was still some planning to go, and he's going and surveying the area, and he's looking around. He's like, I heard this story. My brother told me what was happening. He might have heard from some other people, but I got to see this for myself because we got to figure out how to do this. We got to figure out how to get it done, of course, with the leading and the work of God through us. Even though Nehemiah's leading has changed, he knew he also couldn't do it by himself. He was going through and he understood that he needed people to accomplish the will of God. So after studying the Bible, uh, praying and then acting, now he needs to invite others to join him in pursuing God's kingdom. This is how I feel as your pastor is leader here, the under-shepherd that God has equipped me to, to work, making me work through these things and, and to first be uh, in, in my, have my nose in the scripture, first to have my knees on the floor in prayer to encourage you to do the same. And knowing that I can't do it by myself, there's a lot of things that I'm just not equipped to do. And if there's only so much time in a day, then we need help. If you love this church, if you believe that God has his hands on us as, as a community, we need help if, if we're going to see the next 55 years. If we're going to reach the community and be a beacon of light that Bolingbroke so sorely needs, and not just Bolingbroke, by the way, but if you look at Illinois, look at our country, look at our world. We're on the cusp of World War III. Man, we need more people to go and share the good news, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I can't do it by myself. And God has called you to be disciples, one who is, is, is learning and one who is, is doing. And I want to encourage you to that today. Finally, verse 17. Amos says, I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned down? Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem. That way, no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also the words that my king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they're strengthening their hands for the good work. But when Sambalot the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonites servants and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right to claim in Jerusalem. Here, we see God's name is at stake. Jerusalem is in shambles. And it's similar for us today. We're not talking about any physical walls 
Bernard Gates. We're not talking about the city that's in shambles that we're here in. We're talking about God's people. We're talking about God's people who are supposed to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's our walls that are down. It's our marriages. It's our children. It's our health. Brothers and sisters, our lives are in ruins. This is what we're talking about today. It's our gates that have been burned down and have been affected by the weight of the world. Verse 17, I can repeat what Nehemiah says. You see what kind of trouble we're in? You see the destruction that's taking place? We need to do something. As I mentioned earlier, Nehemiah was just an ordinary guy. But there's someone greater. There's someone greater who does an extraordinary work, and his name is Jesus. That's the name we need to call upon. In this gospel work, here it says, when, when Nehemiah told the people what was going on, and he, he comes, he says, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision, that we may no longer uh, put God's name in vain and make him look bad. He told them everything that's, that's happening, and, and the response is incredible. As I encourage you, as I call on you, I hope to hear a similar response. They hear what is going on, and they say, let us rise up and build. I don't know if y'all are with me today. Let us rise up and build. Let's get aligned with God and his purpose and his mission. And let's get busy. It says they strengthen their hands for the good work. Who's ready? Who's ready to rise up and build? Who's ready to strengthen their hands? This gospel work is, is what we need to strengthen our hands for. We need to study our Bible. We need to pray to God and to do what he promises. And he, we need to ask for guidance on how we can be used by the Lord for his will. We need to pray and we need to act at the time is now. So here's what I'd like to, you to take away here today. It's not much. Set, set aside five to ten minutes a day to pray. Can you do that? No? Is that too much? Can you do that? Take five to ten minutes a day to pray? That's where it starts. Not only for you individually and the things you have going on in your life, but for us corporately as a body of believers. That's going to be powerful to change our community, our state, our world. That's not, I mean, you can, me easily waste 10 minutes a day. And what will happen is throughout the day is you're reminded about what you prayed about earlier. You can stop and pray. Just like Nehemiah, he spent weeks, months in prayer. And don't be intimidated. But when it came for him to talk to the king, he said a quick prayer. We could do that too. As you're reminded about what you prayed for earlier in the day, then the Lord will remind you about what you prayed about, and you can say some quick prayers the rest of the day. The, the, the scripture says for us to pray without ceasing. 
once we get 10 minutes and we can carve out 15 to 20, we just need to get in a rhythm where prayer is a part of our fabric. That's who we are. That's our being. That's our connection. We all have technology. You pull it from the, the, the charger and it, it dwindles down in energy progressively throughout the day. That's what prayer is for us. That we remove ourselves from that connection. And so when stuff ain't working out for you, you need to think about where I am, where am I with the Lord? That's just generally the case for me. When stuff is chaotic in my life and I sit back and think about what is going on, what is happening, it's one thing after another, I realize I haven't been spending the time with the Lord that I need. I need that. I need to get myself back on track. I need to get back into scripture. I need to get back on my knees in prayer. We need to have that as a rhythm in our own life, as part of who you are. And you should look forward to that. I'll end with this, 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. It says, and we all with the unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I pray that we all be transformed by the renewing of our minds, and that we would seek with every fiber of our being to serve him in every way. Let's pray. Oh Lord, what a gracious God you are. Thank you for so much for these continued reminders in, in our lives that when you need to get our attention, you we see all these things happen in our lives and we just thank you for your graciousness and we thank you for your mercy and these reminders of how we need to come back to you. Father, energize us to, to be the people that you've called, to do the things that you've said in advance for us to do so that we can bring you the glory you rightly deserve. Help us to be energized, not just for our own selves, but so that we can have a transformative uh, impression on our own communities, that people might know the name of Jesus because of who you are through us. Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done, the things that you will continue to do. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.